Greetings to you this morning. In the name of our Lord. This morning I'm thankful. I'm thankful for a lot of things. I'm thankful for the invention of air conditioning. What is the most basic, core, foundational sin? Somebody tell me. Pride. The originator of sin fell because of pride. Isaiah chapter 14, quoting... You have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Satan fell because of pride. We've all been born with a selfish nature. As babies, we screamed to get what I want, to get my way. And uh, babies don't have to get very old until the parents see plenty of that. They don't, after you know, maybe a couple months. If they don't get their way, they're the most important person in the world, in their world. But God wants us to learn as his people, he wants us to learn that he is everything and we are nothing without him. You know, I, Brother Craig was saying, we are English, we're infidels. Maybe we are to some people, but I'm thankful this morning that God says, you're my children. So much for that. <clears throat> but without him, we are nothing. He is everything. He created us without your choice or my choice. We didn't have any choice in the matter. He created us. We have no abilities, no skills, but what he has given us. We have no knowledge or intellect other than what he has given to us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Verse 7, he says, uh, And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did not, now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? What do you have that you did not receive? There's a lot of people in the world today, you meet up with some here and there. 
who they might not tell you in so many words, but you know, you can see it by their actions and by their words and so forth. They're a self-made man, we say. So-and-so is a self-made man. Maybe he didn't have a lot of education, but he educated himself and he's intelligent and, and <clears throat> you know, I know a lot. But we have nothing that we didn't receive from somebody else or from God. Our very intelligence, our knowledge, our skills, our abilities only come from God. He's given them to us. I am nothing without him. <clears throat> God wants us to learn that fact. We are 100% indebted, dependent, indebted to God and dependent upon him. And if we have, if God has given us a new nature through Christ, um, that's good, but we still have to battle the old nature. The old nature of self and pride. It's a constant battle. It constantly, the old nature constantly wants to raise its head. And so the scriptures, therefore, are full of warnings, rebukes against pride, self. And they exhort us and urge us to humility, being broken, lowly, contrite, crucifying self. It uses various words throughout the scripture. This humbling, diminishing, breaking, dying sounds very negative and sounds painful. And it is. However, it produces glorious results. And I want to touch on that a little later. Produces glorious results, both here and in the future. So I'd like, first of all, to look at a few scriptures on the subject and um, notice the negative, the negatives about pride and the positives about humility. I'm just going to read a number of verses throughout the scriptures. Proverbs 3, 34, he scorns, speaking of God, he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 11:2. when pride comes, then comes shame, but with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 16, 19, better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Matthew 11:29. take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find what? Tell me, rest. way of the proud self is not a way of rest. The way of the lowly is a way of rest. 
and we'll touch on that a little more later. Second Chronicles 7:14. if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Micah 6, 8, he has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. What does God require of us but to walk humbly with him? Matthew 18, 4, Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. We think, I've got to stick up for myself. Nobody else will. How many times have you heard that? <laughs> I've got to stick up for myself. I've got to make my way through life. I've got to, I mean, look what'll happen to me if I don't. It's not what God says. Matthew 23, 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. James 4, 6, and 10, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And some years back, I stopped and I meditated on that verse a bit and I thought, God resists the proud. The almighty God who is able to do anything, I don't want him resisting me. That'd be awful. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. He will lift you up. 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Proverbs 18, 12, before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty and before honor is humility. The precursor of destruction is pride. Precursor of, what's it say? Honor is humility. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Familiar passage, but I'd like to look at it briefly. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Don't do anything by selfish ambition or conceit. How many of us have, <laughs> all of us, have probably done that quite often. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not out not only on his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He was equal with God. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, 
and we could go on. He humbled himself. Such humility as our Lord Jesus had. And later, God exalted him, highly exalted him. But back in verse 5, it says, Let this same mind be in you. Same mind as Jesus had be in you. <clears throat> Before honor is humility, the Bible says. And yes, again, um, this sounds negative, but there is so much positive. When we are broken before God, God gives grace. He gives a freedom, a peace, a rest, like we didn't have before. It's just that the breaking, the crucifixion, the dying to self comes first. And then there is the rest. <clears throat> but it's not fun. The dying process is not fun. Was it fun for our Lord? No. It's not fun for us to the flesh. In Hebrews 12, 11, it's maybe a little bit different context, a little bit different uh, idea, but in Hebrews 12, 11, he says, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. A.W. Tozer wrote, The old cross is a symbol of death. It stands for the abrupt, violent end of a human being. The man in Roman times who took up his cross and started down the road had already said goodbye to his friends. He was not coming back. He was going out to have it ended. The cross made no compromise, modified nothing, spared nothing. It slew all of the man completely and for good. It did not try to keep on good terms with its victim. It struck cruel and hard, and when it was finished, had finished its work, the man was no more. The race of Adam is under death sentence. There is no commutation and no escape. God cannot approve any, I'm sorry, God cannot approve any of the fruits of sin, however innocent they may appear or beautiful to the eyes of men. God salvages the individual by liquidating him and then raising him again to newness of life. That's dying to self. In Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. The word brokenhearted or is number of other places in the scripture it says broken we are to be broken has the idea of being uh, crushed Isaiah chapter 57 15 for thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity whose name is holy I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit 
to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And then in Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. What does the word contrite mean? I don't know if you ever studied that word. That word means to be crushed, ground to powder. And God says that's the way we should be in relation to self. Often people talk about so-and-so, you know, it'd be good if he had a few corners knocked off, <laughs> you know, brought down a couple notches, uh, you know, knock off a few corners. Let's think in natural terms of a clay pot or something made out of clay. You can break off a few corners or you could break the pot in half and you could glue it back again and what would you have? A broken pot. Even if you glue it back again, it still is marred, it's still broken. It's not good. But if we can use this analogy, if you would take that clay pot and grind it to very fine powder and remake it into a beautiful vessel, I think that's more the idea of what God wants to do for us spiritually. He doesn't want us just cracked, just a few corners knocked off. He wants us crushed to where I'm done with myself and then God can make a beautiful new vessel out of me. Something that is for his glory, his purposes. <clears throat> How do we do this? How do we become broken? We have a part and God has a part. The Bible talks about us humbling ourselves. And with the Lord's help, we can do that to a degree. But God knows that we're fighting against the old flesh. And we often don't do a very good job of humbling ourselves like God would have us to do. And so God brings to in, into our experience from time to time those things to humble us those hard things in life, those things where other people look down on us or other people uh, make fun of us or, or whatever, whatever. Things don't go our way. All kinds of painful, difficult situations <clears throat> that God uses to humble us if we're willing to let him. We can stand up we can always stand up, even in those experiences, and say, no, I'm going to take my way. Reminds me of a man many years ago that I was acquainted with, I worked with for a while. He always had the attitude of, 
He was smart, others were dumb. Now I'm putting it in my words, he wouldn't have said it in those words. But he had the answers. He was big stuff. He was, he had a sign above his desk in his office that said, how can I, how can I soar with the eagles when I work with turkeys? And that just sort of described his attitude. Well, eventually he left that place of business and um, then he became a self-made preacher. He started his own little church. But that didn't go. And it wasn't too long until his wife left him. And he started down, 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 down. Eventually, sometime later, he was drinking. But any time that you talked to him, it was always, yeah, just as soon as, as this or that, you know, he's going to really make big, and he's going to do this, and he's going to do that. Even when he was near at the bottom, he still was, yeah, he's going to do this and that and the other thing. You just wait. Eventually, we heard that he took his own life. The way of a proud man. We don't have to listen to God when he brings humbling experiences to us, but we better. We better let God humble us, and we better humble ourselves. I don't think I'll take the time, but we could turn to the book of Daniel, the experience of Nebuchadnezzar. Do you know that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, wrote one of the chapters in our Bibles? He gave his experience. And he says, now I know that there is a God in heaven and that he is able to humble people. He spent seven years out there eating grass like a cow. He says, now I know that God is able to bring people down and humble them. But he had to go through some difficult experiences to get to that place. So God does bring those things into our lives. And I could tell some personal experiences, but I won't take the time this morning. They're not fun, they're not easy, but they're for our good. Those who walk in pride, he is able to put down, Nebuchadnezzar said. However, God wants us to humble ourselves, like I said a bit ago. How do we do that? fall on our knees, acknowledge his greatness and our undoneness, our nothingness, and then beseech him, beg him to help us to be humble. And get ready, he might bring some difficult experiences into your life to get you there. But oh, the glorious life much more glorious life of a humble person versus a proud person. The flesh doesn't think that way, but that's true.
The Bible uses the term being crucified with Christ. In Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That verse intrigues me. I am dead. I am crucified with Christ. Being crucified, by the way, is not wrapping knuckles or spanking. It's death. I am crucified. I am dead with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But no, I don't live. I live in Christ. It's sort of, you know, back and forth. I live and I don't live. I live and I don't live. <laughs> that verse intrigues me. I am crucified with Christ. Are we? This is a continual, constant action. We can crucify self, put down my own selfish motives and say, Lord, I want your way. I will take your way, not my way. Like Jonah, Brother Craig. <laughs> I will take your way. And an hour later, we might have to do it again. It's a constant thing. You don't do it one time and then that takes care of it for the rest of your life. Ah. You may make a firm commitment today, which helps tomorrow and next week and next month and next year, but you still have to keep working at it day after day, month after month, year after year. Luke 9, 23, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Take up his cross, that's dying to self. Take up his cross daily, or we could say hourly, <laughs> or more often than that. <laughs> As I said a while ago, this dying Crucifixion, being crucified with Christ, means death. It's dying. <clears throat> Some people talk about the cross they have to bear. You know, maybe they're handicapped or maybe they're crippled or they have uh, some... Uh, chronic pain or this or that and or maybe it's some relationship or maybe a spouse passed away or maybe you know all kinds of things oh this is the cross that I have to bear in my life no it isn't I'm sorry but that's not scriptural the cross is dying to self it's not that I have this pain or I am crippled or whatever the cross is dying to self. That's the cross. That's crucifixion. It's saying no to what I want and yes to what Christ wants. It's putting self on the altar, giving up my will for God's will. Putting to death, dying to the sins, sinful lusts and the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5.24, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. And if we were to go to Galatians 5, and Brother Craig already read some of these, we have a list, a partial list of 
the, the flesh and its affections and lusts. And uh, in Colossians chapter 3, we have another partial list of uh, sins of the flesh, immorality, various things. Um, and in Galatians chapter 5, without turning to it, it says, it, uh, maybe I will turn to it just quickly. Galatians 5, verse 24. For those who, who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so logically, those that have not crucified the flesh with all of its desires and passions are what? Are not Christ's. It makes it serious. Romans chapter 6. Um, let's turn to that. I don't see any clock in here. I guess that means I can just go on as long as I want, right? I don't have a watch with me either, so you're victims this morning. Romans chapter 6, verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also, now for us here this morning, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin is all about us. We are tempted all the time. Many times we're tempted to sin. So what do we do about it? How can we be free from sin? He says here, be, reckon yourselves to be dead to sin. What does that mean? Consider yourself dead to sin. I'm dead to that. Therefore, I don't respond to it. It, ha it, it cannot affect me. I am just, I'm dead to it. And I'm alive to Christ. I'm alive to God. It's, it's his face that I'm looking at. It's him that I'm striving for. And all these sins around us in life that we're tempted with, we're dead to those things. <clears throat> Romans 8, uh, chapter 8. Romans 8, verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Do you want to live or die? Simple question. Easy question to answer. <laughs> oh, is it or isn't it? If you want to live real living, real life, then you die to the flesh, to self. If you want to die, well, live for the flesh, live for self. 
Let's move on. This matter of crucifying self is not asceticism. That's a big word. Do you know what it means? It's like the monks in their monasteries and, you know, deny themselves of this or this or this or the person that crawls on their knees on a bed of nails to, you know, to worship some god or whatever. You know, it's, it's purposely making pain to the flesh to somehow try to um, get some praise from God or recognition from God. No, crucifying self is not that. That is an inward look, you know, myself and trying to, you know, cause pain to myself and, and focusing on self. What God wants us to do is focus on Him, live for Him, and let self just go away. Die to that. Die to my own pleasures. Die to my own self, my own s desires. Focus on God. Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He endured. It wasn't easy. No, it wasn't. Look in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was anything but easy for him. But he endured the cross, despising the shame, because his sight was set on God and the joys of the beyond. And he says we should look to him as our example. Now turn with me to Romans chapter 8. I'd like for you to, I'd like to just briefly look at some number of things in this chapter. The dying to self, this is totally against human logic. This is totally against, you know, our human fleshly way of thinking. But as I've been telling you this morning, Dying to self brings a glorious freedom, a wonderful life. Here and in eternity. It brings some wonderful results. The dying is not easy. It's hard. It's painful. But the life that it produces is a glorious life. Let's look at Romans chapter 8. I'm not going to read very much of this chapter, but pick out verses. Verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. There's freedom in a life of dying to the flesh. Verse 4, That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, Righteous living, righteousness. Verse 6, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Life and peace. We're looking at the glorious side of dying to self, crucifying self. Verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither uh, can be. So, the opposite of that, we are in tune with God when we have died to self. Verse 8, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God, and those that die to the flesh can please God. We're, we're, we're seeing some of the opposites here in these verses. 
but uh, just moving through here rapidly. Verses 10 and 11. If Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. God's spirit lives in us, verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And so God's spirit lives within us. And verse 13, we already talked about it. We will truly live, I mean real life, if we die to self. Verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. We can be led by, the, by God in daily life. He leads us, directs our lives when we have crucified self. Let's go on, verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. We no need, no need to be bound by fear. And verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We can be his children and his heirs. Verse 17, if children, then heirs, heirs of God. And then verse 18, he says, can I consider that the sufferings of this present time, and he may be talking about persecution and that sort of thing, but I think it's not doing violence to the thought here in the scripture to say that um, the, also the fleshly sufferings of dying to the flesh <laughs> are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. <clears throat> and then he goes on in this chapter with more things. And he finally ends with um, no separation from the love of God and Christ forever. The glorious life of crucifying the flesh. Apostle Paul in Galatians 6.14 says, well, should be able to quote it. Can somebody quote it for me? It slips my mind right now. <clears throat> but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world was crucified to me and I to the world. Paul says the cross stands between him and the world. He is crucified to the world. The world is crucified to him. The cross stands between. Are we crucified to the flesh? Are we crucified to the world? Are we crucified to our old self and sin? I will hurry on. Peter, time when Jesus was here on this earth, one day Peter borrowed a boat to stand in, to preach in, to the huge multitude out there on the shore. And after he got done preaching, he told Peter, he says, let's go out into the lake and uh, go fishing. 
And Peter could have said, Lord, <laughs> you're stupid. <laughs> I mean, we fished all night last night, just last night. We fished all night, and we didn't catch a thing. What do you mean go out and go fishing? I mean, they're just not biting. I, well, they're not biting. They, you know, they use nets probably. But no point in that. Peter didn't do that, at least not that we have record of. But I'm wondering if he didn't glance out of the corner of his eye at the other disciples and kind of wink at them, you know. <laughs> he didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> Peter obeyed when it didn't seem right. Peter obeyed. He went against his own knowledge. He did what God told him to do. He didn't do what his own flesh and his own intellect told him to do. He did what Jesus told him to do. And they had so many fish, they couldn't contain them. How many times do we say, uh-uh, that doesn't seem right. I, I don't want to do that. Maybe like Jonah. Or we say, eh, God wouldn't ask me to do that, would he? I, I don't want to do that. And look at the boatloads of fish that we are missing out on because we're not willing to do what God wants us to do. The two boats began to sink and, G and Peter fell down at Jesus' feet and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Let's see ourselves at that place and say, God, what do you want me to do? I'm done with self and my own ways. I'm ready to crucify myself, be broken, be crushed for your sake. I'll go your way. So this morning we need to come to the same point that Peter came to, recognizing God's holiness and our unholiness. God is everything, and I am nothing outside of him. And we need to continue to do that day by day. Continue to come to God with our needs in full faith and trust that he will help us and he will guide us. And if we do that, then God has given us so many promises of glorious results. Yes, the dying is painful. It's hard to the flesh. But the living that results from the dying is glorious. And so I wish all of us this morning a happy, glorious life of dying and real living. May the Lord help us to do that. Die to self and live for God. I would like to suggest that our chorister lead us in number 345.
Perhaps before we sing it, I will just uh, read the, some of the words of this song. 345, must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? It's a question. He had to suffer and die, and I can go free? I don't have to do any dying? No, there's a cross for everyone, and there's a cross for me. Disowned on earth, mid griefs and cares, he led his toilsome way. But now in heaven a crown he wears and reigns in endless day. The consecrated cross I'll bear, till from the cross set free. And then go home, my crown to wear, for there's a crown for me. Let's sing this song. <laughs> 